Abundant Hair Growth. Check out this review on skin, hair, and nails from Heart and Soil Supplements by April G. I love this product. My hair is growing in fast and abundantly. I lost 60% of my hair during, you know, I tried other brands. This one works within weeks of starting it. Thank you so much. Though it is strange to have that sort of a hair loss from uh, a virus, uh, like what happened during the pandemic. It's awesome to hear that April's hair is regrowing with skin hair and nails from hard and soil supplements that has liver, bone marrow, and trachea and scapula cartilage. Those are special types of collagen that were studied by a physician named John Pruden, a surgeon, and had increased efficacy for wound healing and hair growth in his studies. So those special types of collagen are what we put in skin hair and nails from heart and soil supplements. Works for both men and women good hair, good skin, good nails, all the biotin and liver. Check us out at heartandsoil.co.co. Our mission is to help you reclaim your birthright to optimal, radical health. This week, I had John Venus on the podcast. John was on a couple of years ago, right when he transitioned from being a very well-known vegan proponent to eating meat. In the two years since then, he's eaten a lot more meat. He actually did a six-month experiment where he went back to being plant-based, As he talks about in this podcast, that caused a recurrence of all of his symptoms, muscle cramping, joint pains, et cetera. Recently, he's been eating a lot of meat on the order of what I eat and fruit. Interesting. He's getting some organs too. He's basically eating an animal-based diet. We talk about his experiences, what he observed in the vegan community, the hate that he's gotten from the vegan community. Vegans are pretty carnivorous when it comes to it, actually, guys. And we talk about his kids and what he observed in vegan kids. He has one child who was born when both he and his wife were vegan, and one child, his daughter, who was born when neither of them were vegan. They have different health outcomes and different growth. Anecdotal, but quite interesting. We go through a lot of science in this one, and we talk about why a plant-based diet is no way, shape, or form an optimal diet for humans in any stage of our lives. So enjoy this podcast with animal-based proponent, John Venus, who's an awesome guy. I enjoy doing this podcast. It's free. In order to make it possible, I want to give a shout out. Thank you to all of the sponsors who are all companies that I believe in. I want to start with White Oak Pastures, whiteoakpastures.com, regeneratively raised meat that is grass-fed, grass-finished, carbon-negative beef, which is delicious in Bluffton, Georgia. The grass is green. The birds are prevalent in bugs and worms and beetles. It's an ecosystem. Will and Jenny Harris are really the innovators in this space. They were some of the first, if not the first. Will has been farming that property for 26 years regeneratively, and it shows it's very different than uh, land that looks like it has not been farmed regeneratively, and the meat is delicious. They have beef, they have pork, they have corn and soy-free chicken, corn and soy-free eggs. They have all kinds of good stuff there. Check them out, whiteoakpastures.com. You can use the code CARNIVOREMD for 10% off your first order, and Carnivore 5, Carnivore 5, this is a new one, will get you 5% off of your return orders. So that's cool. They're doing that for us. Thank you to White Oak Pastures, whiteoakpastures.com for supporting, for encouraging fundamental health listeners to try their stuff. It's amazing. Also want to give a shout out to earthrunners.com. I don't like to have shoes on, but when I do, I would prefer to be connected to the earth and these earth runner sandals allow that to happen in congruence with ancestral wisdom. We need to incorporate more simple nature-based lifestyle practices, outsource less of our modern life to technology. We don't think about shoes and the way we interact with our earth, but our ancestors were always grounded. I love getting in the ocean and being grounded. The first thing I do in the morning when I wake up is step on the grass. And we have insulating souls now. 
We've lost our connection with the earth as modern humans. We also have souls with huge heels, which mess up our running form. Our ancestors were in constant connection by the earth, going barefoot or wearing leather-soled moccasins or sandals, which kept them grounded. Connecting your feet to the earth is a practice called grounding. It allows the body to take in the electrons, which help restore the natural electric state and enjoy the myriad benefits felt while taking in the elements like our ancestors did. Earth runners are really cool. They have copper earthing plug and conductive laces that keep you grounded to the earth while you're wearing shoes. How cool is that? They have an ancestral inspired company, has created minimalist earthing sandals for a barefoot experience. They have a millennia old footwear design known as the Harache, a simple sole and wrapping lace and Vibram soles with earthing technology. It's the most minimalist, natural, and grounded shoe experience you've ever had. So go to earthrunners.com, use the code Paul at checkout for 10% off your earthrunners. That is earthrunners.com. Use the code Paul for 10% off your order of Earthrunner sandals. Send me a photo and uh, I'll be stoked for you. Also want to give a shout out to another farm that I love in and around Austin, Texas, shirttailcreekfarm.com. They're a regenerative farm focused in Brenham, Texas, run by Sam and Carolyn Moffat. They have 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, pastured chicken, pastured soy-free eggs. They're passionate about producing delicious nutrient-dense food while running their farm with an emphasis on animal welfare and farming in the image of a healthy ecosystem. That's what regenerative agriculture is all about. They offer flat shipping rates within Texas and offer regular order uh, pickup locations in Austin, Houston, and San Antonio. If you want to fill your freezer or buy in bulk, they offer free home delivery on bulk orders of more than $999, including one-fourth, one-half, or whole beef packages in and around Austin, Houston, San Antonio, Waco, Kyleen, Bryan, College Station, metro areas. Go to shirttailcreekfarm.com. Check them out on Instagram, at shirttailcreekfarm. And the promo code is carnivoremd for $10 off your order of $100 or more. That is shirttailcreekfarm.com. Use Carnivore MD for $10 off your order of $100 or more. Last but not least, let's get checked. Thank you to these guys for sponsoring the podcast. TryLGC.com front slash Carnivore MD. You guys have heard me talk about this. Men's healthy sperm counts and hormonal imbalances are skyrocketing. Horm- sperm counts have dropped 50% in the last 40 years. Is it EMF? Is it plastics in our food? Who knows? Is it nutrient deficiency? Who knows? But you better know what's going on with your hormones Let's Get Checked has a mission to make professional health testing easily affordable. They're fast, affordable, always confidential at-home male hormone test kits help fundamental health listeners take a measured approach to their help, measure their male hormone levels from the comfort of their home. You get 20% off at trylgc.com front slash carnivoremd. Here's how it works. You go online, you choose your test, delivered to you next day. You collect your sample at home. It's super easy. I did a bunch of them on myself. If you do male hormones, you get five levels, testosterone, SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, prolactin, estrogen, free energy index. Uh, You get a consultation with a nurse once they're reviewed by a physician over the phone. And they are CLIA approved with the highest ranking level of accreditation. All data is anonymized. You can go to try, T-R-Y-L-G-C.com, front slash carnivore MD. Uh, you know how to spell it, carnivore MD, to get 20% off your order. They also do CRP, they'll do lipids, they will do CBC, Chem 7, a bunch of other stuff. It's also, it's pretty nice to have it convenient in your home and not have to go to a doctor's office or pay for those appointments. I believe in democratized lag testing, try LGC, T-R-Y-L-G-C.com, front slash carnivore MD will get you the discount. All right, guys, onto the podcast. 
John Venus, thanks for coming back on the podcast, man. Thanks, Paul, for having me back on. It's, it's uh, we said before the podcast, your hair looks much longer than the last time I saw you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going for the surfer look, uh, but uh, I'm in the wrong place. We should switch places. I'm in Norway, you're in Costa Rica. Um, yeah, so not not much surfing going on here, but yeah, I'm letting the hair go. But what is the temperature of the water? Are you near the ocean in Norway? Yeah, right next to the ocean. I can see it from the window here. Um, the ocean, I'm assuming it's like maybe 13, 14 Celsius or something like that. So pretty cold. Like, do you, do you yeah. ever go in it? Yeah, well, actually, I, I did the river because like that's even colder. So that's like, I'd, I'd say maybe three, four degrees or something. So it's more <laughs> like a cold exposure, you know, ice, ice bathing kind of thing. So I prefer the rivers. Amazing. So people don't know this. Uh, we'll get into your story in a moment. But uh, when I was recently in Texas, I have my buddy Liver King, Brian Johnson, has a cold plunge at his house. And he keeps it at 36 degrees Fahrenheit, which is probably two, three degrees Celsius. And I went in for 10 plus minutes and I basically got rhabdo. <laughs> I basically got rhabdo my allies. Uh, I've gone in his cold plunge at that temperature before for 10 minutes, but I think because I've been living in Costa Rica for so long, I went in for way too long and my muscles and my skin were sore for days. Wow. Uh, so that, yeah, 10 that's, minutes my, is pretty hardcore. <laughs> that's my excess cold plunging experience. And now uh, I'm getting a cold plunge here in Costa Rica soon. I'll just be going in for two to three minutes at maybe the same yeah. temperature, but 10 was too much. So uh, we've done another podcast, but for people who don't know you, how would you describe your history in the past? I don't want to, I don't want to take any of the thunder. So what would you say about your, your position right now? Who are you, John Venus? Yeah, uh, I'll try to uh, answer that in a, in a simple way, but, um, you know, essentially my online persona at least has been very focused on health and nutrition and, uh, personal growth. Um, and I would say, uh, it started off pretty normal, just, you know, me showing gym work and, uh, you know, what I was eating, which was a pretty typical bodybuilding, you know, bro diet, you know, chicken and broccoli and these things. And then, um, you know, I, uh, went vegan and I focused on sharing, uh, my vegan journey online, which nobody was doing at the time, especially in the fitness world. So I was pretty much the, the first, or one of the first, at least, uh, you know, uh, public figures in that space. And I got a lot of traction um, uh, doing that. And all of a sudden, I went from having a few thousand subscribers on YouTube to growing, you know, extremely fast every single week, you know, started getting, you know, all kinds of business deals, supplement companies uh, sponsoring me. Um, and everything was going amazing. And so I focused on spreading that uh, message of, health and fitness as a vegan for five plus years and did, you know, really well for myself. Didn't experience any negative um, health issues until, you know, that five-year mark, I'd say. Um, I started experiencing health issues. Um, and I also started noticing many, many things that were kind of going against my beliefs um, that the vegan diet was optimal for human beings and, and optimal for all stages of life. I was witnessing too many things that were kind of contradicting my belief. And so I started questioning things more and more. And especially after becoming a father, um, I wanted to take that extra step and make sure that I was doing the right thing for my son. And so I started 
um, you know, reaching out to vegan doctors because I couldn't personally find any evidence and studies and peer-reviewed research that would satisfy uh, the questions that I had. And so, you know, once I got, uh, you know, uh, the answers from these vegan MDs, nutritionists, PhDs, uh, of which I had access to all of them because I was very well known within the community, um, did, you know, countless events. And so I, I pretty much knew everyone was very well connected um, and no studies could satisfy, um, you know, uh, my questions at all. Actually, this, I still to this day cannot find one single study um, that shows um, a benefit for children in particular, um, even in adults, uh, you know, for being 100% vegan. Um, and so that was at the point where um, I stopped and I quit. Um, and that's when um, I've been in a kind of a limbo ever since then. This happened in 2020, early 2020. Um, and since then, I've been kind of laying low, not talking too much about veganism and nutrition and health and just been focusing more on health freedom and these things like that. Um, and now, you know, in the last two weeks, I'd say I've been sharing more and more about, uh, you know, my thoughts about, uh, you know, vegan nutrition, the consequences uh, a vegan diet can have on children, what I've witnessed myself. And that has kind of brought back a lot of the, the online hate and bullying and, and um, death threats and all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, luckily I've, I've gotten used to it <laughs> by now. So it doesn't affect me as much as it did the first time around. Um, but, you know, it, it just feels like it's, it's my... Uh, my duty after promoting something so hard for so many years to um, not leave people in the dark um, because to, a lot of people still think that I'm vegan and then share my picture with all kinds of peoples and, and carnivores and all these things as proof that you know you can build muscle and be strong as a vegan which you can but you know being jacked doesn't mean that you're healthy um, so yeah in a nutshell that's kind of what I've been doing in the online space yeah so a couple of things thanks for sharing that piece of your story. And we spoke on this podcast in 2020, I think shortly after you had begun eating meat again. And I was just reviewing that podcast before this one. And I found a number of vegans online who were uh, lambasting that podcast that we had done together, calling me a supposed doctor when my medical diploma <laughs> went right behind me right there. And uh, uh, I mean, you know, for people who claim to be empathetic and compassionate, uh, Vegans are, are pretty pretty intense, man. Here, here's, a, here's a headline from uh, Plant-Based News. Airhead John Venus blasted after he is revealing he is no longer vegan. It, it's And then before this podcast, you told me that you had recently, I guess with this ramp up of talking about the concerns with vegan diets for children, especially gotten more email death threats. I, I just, I don't understand how a group of people who claim to want to do less harm to animals are, are willing to are willing to say that they will kill you and your family in this email. I don't understand that. Yeah, absolutely. And this wasn't the first time, you know, when I came out of uh, veganism in 2020, it was constant. It was, um, you know, at least 300 plus videos made in the first week on YouTube. Um, it was so bad that even the, the local radio uh, stations here in Norway were like trying to reach me and like, you know, talk to me about it on air and stuff like that. It was, it was horrible. And, um, and it, it was like, you know, it wasn't, I don't care so much about people wishing death on me and that kind of stuff, but it was really focused on, on my family and, and, and people close to me and these things. So it's, yeah, 
it's it's one of these things that you know kind of gives us a clue and an insight into how these um, uh, movements, how these uh, activist groups can become too extreme and uh, and 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 how that you know kind of blinds them to the most basic human um, you know emotions and and uh, kind of uh, yeah they, they, they just lose compassion and and people will willingly admit in the vegan community a lot of times especially in the animal rights uh, sector of veganism uh, they will willingly admit and um, be proud of the fact that they're compassionate towards animals but not towards humans a lot of them are anti-natalists they they believe having children is the most selfish and evil thing ever and uh they're very anti-human a lot of them and this is not everyone of course you know i have many friends who are amazing cool you know plant-based vegan people but unfortunately it does attract a lot of these extreme um uh, types as well unfortunately and we could say the same thing about the carnivore community uh, i don't think i received even <laughs> exactly. a fraction of the of the hate that you did but there are many people, I think, in the carnivore community that see my incorporation of plant food, specifically fruit now, as apostasy. Uh, they will go nameless on this podcast, but there are many who who throw slander at me online and I just ignore or you know don't don't find that to be terribly uh, interesting. But I think it, it it is a statement about humans and how both of us, I believe have good intentions and both of us have ended up, I mean, I've been carnivore and vegan uh, in my life on very extreme ends of the spectrum. So humans are prone to extremity. And it is interesting how tribal we are that when we are in a tribe that is so extreme and we leave that tribe, when I eat fruit, when you begin eating meat, the tribes get angry. And it, it does, I think, reveal some of the, the problem with this sort of dogmatic limited thinking in humans. Um, okay, I have a question for you. So this photo, um, you know, all these photos when you were vegan, mm -hmm. do you either have ex excellent genetics or there are there are supplements here, steroids, exogenous testosterone. You tell me. Did you ever yeah, use great. any exogenous testosterone, steroids, anything like that? Or is this just incredible genetics, John? <laughs> Well, you know, that in particular is uh, uh, lighting, manipulation, all these things, because it was a professional photo shoot. So that in particular was definitely an exaggeration, as all photo shoots, uh, fitness shoots are. But no, I've never used any any hormones or any um, steroids. I've always been vocal, you know, uh, person talking against it. Um, I was actually very judgmental towards people who use steroids before early on in my fitness career. Um, and so I would say my genetics are, you know, they're, they're good. I I've met people who are, uh, who have much better the genetics than me. Don't, don't do the anywhere close to the gym work that I do and are, and are able to build even more impressive physiques, uh, with a lot less work. So, you know, I'm not saying that people, you know, like, uh, Cali muscle or these people that, you know, claim natural are all natural for sure. Not, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, you know, fake natties as a lot of people call them. Um, but yeah, for me, yeah, I've never, never had an issue building muscle and I've always had a lot of, uh, accusations. And I mean, right now I haven't lifted properly for, you know, over a year and I still maintain a lot of muscle mass. Um, but you know, this is after 10 years of train one hour a day, every single day. Um, and just, you know, always being a caloric surplus and that kind of stuff. So yeah, my genetics are definitely, um, better than average. I'd say. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're just, you're, you're basically Viking, right? So maybe that's just what it's about. 
Yeah, half Viking. Half half Viking. (laughs) What's the other half? Brazilian. Okay. Well, the other muscle. Yeah. What What is your height and weight right now? Uh, I my height is hopefully the same as it was before. It's six one, one eighty centimeters, and my weight, I believe, was eighty six kilos. Eighty six kilos. Which is about ten kilos uh, lighter than I was when as a vegan, actually. So I'm a okay. lot lighter, like uh, twenty-two pounds lighter or something. That's a hundred pounds for people that are listening. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you were like close that. to two hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I lost most of the weight after I broke my ankle uh, five weeks ago. Um, so I've been kind of bedridden. So that's probably the, the, the majority of the reason. How well. did you break your ankle? Skateboarding. <laughs> I think I heard about this. I get it. Yeah. You are trying to be a skater. You are trying to be a surfer. Yeah, my son started showing interest in, in scooting around and wanted to go to skate parks. And I, I found it really boring just watching him. So I, you know, I got back on the board after 14 years. And, you know, I, I have a, I have trouble not, you know, trying to progress in different things and <laughs> tried something that I wasn't ready for. And uh, yeah, not good. Skating is intense. Okay, you're in Norway. This is not related to veganism at all. What do you do for sunlight and vitamin D? Well, I just got here, you know, a couple of days ago and, and um, I'm already feeling the, <laughs> the need for, you know, sunshine. Um, but, you know, here, uh, when, I ha- when I'm here long periods of time, I, I supplement in case it helps. Um, and uh, although I'm not a big fan of vitamin D supplementation, um, but, uh, you know, I always prefer sunshine. But uh, yeah, I, I can't really control the weather here yet. Um, I'm not close enough with Bill Gates to make that happen. Oh, I think we can both agree. (laughs) We don't want that to happen. Bill Gates is trying to seed the clouds and get less sun everywhere, not more. So where are you the rest of the time when you're not in Norway? Usually in Spain. Okay. Um, Yeah. So most of my time, or at least half of the time I'm in Spain, but since the, uh, you know, uh, restrictions since since, um, you know, this thing uh, happened, there's a lot more restrictions there. So we, we've kind of spent, been spending a little bit more time in Norway because it's, we're literally on the mountains and the valleys and we have access to, uh, you know, uh, good, you know, animal foods and meats from the valley here that, you know, as you can tell by the, all the antlers hanging around, there's a bunch yes. of deer uh, to hunt here. So, you know, the, the quality of food is much better here. Um, the fruits suck, you know, they're all imported and, and they don't taste good, but at least, you know, we have access to, you know, fish and, and uh, uh, wild game and nature, you know, a lot of, you know, cold therapy and all these things and fresh air. So, yeah, but uh, usually between Spain and, and Norway and then, you know, before, you know, pre uh, yeah, Sharona, whatever you want to call it, uh, I spend one third of the, the year in, in L.A. as well. Okay. Do you, I guess it would be hard to get a tanning bed there. I've always thought people ask all the time, what do I do, Paul? I'm at this high latitude. When I lived in Seattle, I went to a tanning bed. There's a lot of controversy about tanning beds, but I think that one way to sort of mimic outdoor sunlight is to be in a tanning bed, which is going to be UVA and UVB, and then use something like a near-infrared device for the near-infrared wavelengths. I mean, even in Norway, you're going to get infrared light when you're outside. You're high enough north that there's not going to be a ton of UV. So I think the main thing that people are missing when they're at higher latitudes, depending you know whether they're north or south of the equator, is going to be the, the lack of the ultraviolet light. But it probably would be hard to get a tanning bed. But you could get one of the small vitamin D lamps up there. 
Yeah, no, I've uh, I've been looking a little bit into that, and um, you know, I've never pulled the trigger on it, but I'll I'll definitely look more into it, and and probably buy one after you said that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about your experience shortly, and then let's get into this discussion around kids. I did a podcast last week, actually, where I talked about an article that one of my friends sent me, the 2000 to 2025 dietary guidelines for America actually recommend uh, meat as one of the ideal first foods for infants. So this is really pretty cool, I thought, um, and forward thinking. Uh, I haven't seen much press about it. And they also recommend as ideal first foods iron fortified rice cereals, which are complete bullshit. And we'll talk about this study again, or at least the, the, the appraisal of the study. But so you were a vegan for five years, you said, and that was when you began to see some health effects. Mm. What is your diet like now? And what have you noticed um, with those changes? Yeah. So it was five years and then I started eating meat uh, or I started with uh, eggs and oysters and mussels and these things. And I saw immediate benefits. So my cramping went away and I discussed this on, on our first podcast. So I didn't, don't need to go into depth. But after that, I believe it was even after the podcast that we did, I went back into trying a plant-based diet out to make sure that I wasn't tricking myself with a placebo or whatever, a nocebo. And I really wanted to make it work. So I went back into a plant-based diet for, I think, six months. Um, and then, unfortunately, all my, my issues came back. Um, so my joints uh, started hurting again. My wrist was like horrible. Like it was a uh, super painful um, and that kind of sealed the deal, you know, for good for me, um, because, you know, I, I, I did like a, 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 an experiment where I was, you know, uh, I stayed away from veganism or a plant-based diet. I ate animal foods for, um, I don't know what it was like six months or something. And I went back into a plant-based diet for six months, doing it properly, not, you know, eating a junk food, vegan diet and witnessing a, a deterioration after, you know, adopting a plant-based diet again, after even, you know, a couple of weeks it started and just progressively got worse. So I feel like I really gave it a go and wasn't, you know, just a, you know, a, a placebo effect or something like that. Um, and so since I, you know, uh, officially, you know, quit veganism for good and wear a plant-based diet for good, um, the, the most consistent thing I've seen is just a general improvement in gut health. So, uh, you know, regular bowel movements, you know, just uh, normal, as opposed to when I was vegan, um, you kind of normalize just diarrhea, I guess, like people think it's normal to just have like, you know, this watery, uh, wet thing come out of you uh, on, a, on a daily basis. And you also normalize uh, just farting all day. It's like, you know, you're just you sound like a firecracker, just like, you know, you're, you're in a uh, a group of vegans, like, you know, it is kind of like, um, people joke about, like a lot of people do have these, this, uh, gas issue, um, unfortunately. And so the digestion was, was, uh, improved immediately. My, I haven't had any muscle cramps ever since. Um, I have not had joint pain. Uh, my slip disc, my back hasn't been bad ever since, uh, at all. Um, I did break my ankle. I'm sure vegans will say it's because I eat meat, <laughs> but, um, um, apart from, you know, the, the skin, skin tone as well, uh, improved a lot. Um, and I think that's kind of, uh, also actually, yeah, when I, when I actually decided to go very meat heavy, as opposed to just having some 
animal foods. Um, um, I was eating, you know, let's say a pound of, of meat every single day. My strength just like skyrocketed. So in the gym, I, I made PRs, like I was lifting, you know, over 310 uh, pounds on the bench press, which I've never done before. Um, and I, there's no way I could do that um, just six months prior. So um, I definitely noticed a huge uh, strength benefit um, without even working out more. I was working out less actually, and uh, was the strongest ever. So um, those are the, the main benefits that I've seen after reincorporating animal foods. Um, yeah. There are also, to be fair, many vegan doctors who have broken ankles doing much less than skateboarding. <laughs> I believe one broken ankle stepping off a treadmill or on an escalator at the airport or at a mall or something. There's yeah. The carnivore community, I suppose we, we do take pleasure in pointing out the frailty of, of vegan bones as well. I, I mean, I think a lot of people would break skateboarding in general, but who knows? Um, oh, absolutely. absolutely. What about mentally? Have you noticed anything in terms of emotion or any mental changes or not? Well, you know, that, that's always very difficult to gauge because, you know, I'm, I'm like a, a personal development junkie. Like I, I want to do everything to, to skyrocket my growth, no matter what. And I did that as a vegan as well. Um, and so, uh, but you know, when you're stuck in, in one ideology, when you're too attached to one belief system, when you're too attached to, um, to an idea, it kind of limits you in, in, in several ways. And so, because of that, I wasn't um, as well-rounded or I didn't, you know, think in the same way as I think right now in terms of right now, I'm, I'm very detached from, you know, I don't have a need of knowing the truth and knowing that this is the exact best diet for human uh, health and knowing that this is going to be the best thing for my son. I'm much, much more comfortable in the unknown and I'm willing to, to be wrong. I'm willing to admit that I made mistakes. I'm willing to admit that I don't know everything. I know very little. Um, and in that sense, um, you know, I've developed a lot and that's mostly for, uh, from the humility of just, you know, falling completely into a dark space after, um, you know, uh, witnessing what happened to me and, you know, other people, friends around me, family, um, on a vegan diet, it really crushed my, uh, a very, very deep belief that I had for so many years. And I had this identity around veganism. So obviously, uh, having your identity crushed hurts and you go through this, you know, dark night of the soul, which lasted a very long time actually. And, but, you know, for every challenge, for every, um, you know, dark moments, uh, there is always, uh, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, you spring back up, the, the harder you fall, you know, the, the, the harder you jump back up as well. So definitely, you know, a lot of, you know, mental improvements in terms of not attaching too much into uh, to ideologies uh, has helped me a lot with not being disappointed as much as before, I guess. <laughs> And then what did you observe in the people around you? This was something that we had talked a little bit about offline. You were at the epicenter of the vegan community for so many people. You were this paragon of what could be achieved on a vegan diet. What did you observe? You said festivals, people with their families and their own lives. This is also quite interesting. Yeah, so I think the first memory that kind of... Uh, was a big 
red flag and a, and a big wake-up wake call, or at least the start of a, a big wake-up call, was when I was in this festival and this this mother wanted me to hold her baby um, to take a picture, um, and and I did that, and and um, I immediately I, I I just thought something was a bit strange because because of the size and all, all these things and. And, and uh, I asked, you know, out of curiosity, I asked how old the baby was and, and the baby was, you know, almost two years old. And so, you know, that was, that was uh, the first kind of like um, wake up call for me was, was something was off there. And of course it was one incident. So I didn't, you know, conclude anything. I, th- I thought, you know, that can happen on, you know, with uh, whatever diet, et cetera. But more and more of these things um, started, you know, coming up, I started being open to receiving that information, to receiving these anecdotes a lot more. And so I was seeing more and more kids, uh, you know, with um, you know, dental issues, gut issues, growth issues, um, uh, vision. Um, and, and no matter how much I, I uh, you know, try to be balanced and saying, well, you know, this is on any diet, this can happen. There are a lot of, you know, environmental toxins, et cetera. There's a lot of uh, factors at play, which is true. But, you know, with these people, a lot of times they are the healthiest, like the most health conscious parents that you can imagine. It's not, um, you know, an average person, an average family. These are people who are religiously watching uh, the top plant-based doctors and uh, doing everything by the book, making sure that their uh, kids are getting all the supplements, all the vitamins, all the, um, the protein, the omegas, everything, you know, and, uh, and still a lot of them were facing um, some, some serious issues. And, and one time, uh, you know, there's this, you know, uh, a case where, you know, you know, some, some of the kids, you know, didn't make it. And that was really, really sad as well. Um, and so many of these experiences kind of got me to open my eyes and, and, and so, um, you know, yeah, after, after I started talking with a lot of other vegan families and parents about this, some of who recently, or, uh, at the time had recently stopped being vegan and, and given, their kids animal foods even if it was just some eggs and and milk they saw immediate uh, gut improvements and that kind of stuff after trying so many things seeing vegan doctors seeing pediatricians seeing nutritionists dietitians and you know this is the thing that a lot of people say oh you you know you didn't go to experts and that kind of stuff these people are they wanted to make it work when you're vegan for for ethical and moral reasons like you really want to make it work like you're you're not going to just give up you know uh, after uh, one red flag, you're going to try everything. Um, but nothing worked. And when they incorporated some animal foods, they saw this, um, this significant change. Um, and so those case studies uh, are, are amazing. They're anecdotes. So a lot of people just throw it out as garbage as this, you know, the scientific community is not a fan of anecdotes, unfortunately. But there's so much truth in anecdotes. And it's, it's so sad that we dismiss them because what could be more powerful than you know a human experience like a person's uh, actual real life experience uh, and for some reason we've we've uh, you know in the scientific community we 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 disregard that as as absolute trash and that is how we get so many uh inversions of reality um reflected in science i believe it's because 
we just throw away the, the 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 one thing that actually represents humanity and we just you know do everything in a strange um you know numbers based um you know co like all kinds of different ways that we can talk about later but ways that don't really reflect uh real life and a real human experience so anyways i saw a lot of these uh, things happen and i also saw this in my own family uh, when i started giving myself uh, and my son animal foods um you know he was doing better so that's what i've seen um and and i i it's not an isolated case so many families that i used to know who are not vegan anymore who, who used to be popular vegan influencers as well um you know are are don't regret they haven't gone back to being vegan none of them zero so you know that says something yeah there's a statistic that i should probably clarify but there's significantly more ex-vegans than there are current vegans, which says something about humans. I did a post yesterday. I was preparing some content and I was looking at weight loss success. And there's a statistic that floats around on the internet saying that 97% of people who go on diets to lose weight gain it all back in three years. And I think that when you see statistics like that, when the vast majority of people who try to do something, whether it's losing weight through portion control and calorie control, which doesn't work in my opinion, or try to cut out animal products, uh, don't work as a human, we have to take notice. Even if this is an anecdote, when N equals hundreds or thousands, we can't ignore this and we have to uh, accept the validity or the value of those experiences. Have you seen this study, multiple nutritional deficiencies in infants from a strict vegetarian community? It's pretty pretty sad, actually. So this is a, a vegan religious community. Um, they received breast milk until they were three months old. Then they were supplemented uh, or replaced with extremely low calorie density preparations, and they were all um, vegans. All of the infants, which is uh, multiple infants, had uh, protein calorie malnutrition, they had rickets, which is related to vitamin D deficiency, osteoporosis, vitamin B12 deficiency, and others. One infant died, similar to what you uh, observe, sadly, seeing in your communities in the past, um, while three others had uneventful recovery once they had incorporation of meat into their diets. And you can see the infant's labs here. One of the more striking graphics is of the reticulocyte percentage and the um, hemoglobin in the blood when they give these infants B12 this is really, except in medical science, there's a massive increase in reticulocytes, which are red blood cell precursors, and their hemoglobin goes up um, significantly. So there's clearly a B12 deficiency in these kids, which is not surprising. Here's a chest X-ray showing um, rachitic changes in the ribs, which are connected with uh, vitamin D deficiency, and cardiomegaly, which is an enlarged heart connected with anemia, which is probably vitamin B12 deficiency anemia, though if you look at the folate levels in some of these kids, they're also quite low. So it could be mixed folate and vitamin B12 deficiency. Uh, an X-ray of an elbow showing uh, edema of the soft tissues, demineralization of the bones with a thin cortex of the bone and multiple fractures, just really sad stuff. But this is also echoed in the literature, though people would criticize you for saying that what you've seen is anecdote, it is actually also present in the literature but yeah. you don't see um, uh, Beyond Meat, Impossible Burger, or Kim Kardashian talking about that. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, we, we can present all the studies that we want. And there, there are several studies, even, you know, people will, for example, say that this one is old. It's from the 70s. It doesn't count because now they know that, you know, you have to supplement vitamin D and B12. But even newer studies, um, you know, show similar things. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what facts are presented. Um, if you have a very, very strong attachment to a belief, you're not going to be able to, to see even what's in, right in front of your eyes. Even sadly, with your own kids, you're, you're incapable of seeing things when, when your belief and attachment to that belief is at a certain point and your identity is so wrapped up in it that nothing else would make sense if you let go of it. So it's, it's, a, it's very sad. Um, and I, I want to make sure that everyone understands that, you know, the anecdotes that I experienced, like I have always tried to be as neutral as, as um, objective as possible, not to let my emotions get in the way. And, and I know much more, many people, m many more people who are omnivorous or just on a Western diet, which is garbage. Um, and I haven't seen any of these issues, even in a standard American diet, you know, with friends um, that I have, uh, and, and I've seen many more issues with uh, uh, parents and, and kids who are vegan, even if they're eating a, a whole foods plant-based diet um, and supplementing and doing all the, the right stuff. So, so it, it just doesn't make any sense. The real life is, is going, is contradicting directly with uh, what people are being told. Within the vegan communities, what is the rationalization for the enormity of supplements that must be used? I just think, isn't there some intuitive concern that you must supplement with all these things to make a vegan diet sustainable? It doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Why should humans have to supplement with that many things? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, so you have different camps in the vegan community. You have different doctors saying different things. Um, there's a period of time, and this changes. Like now, more, many more of them are more willing to say, yeah, you need this and this and this. But traditionally, and even up to just a couple of years back, uh, they've always said that the only supplement that you need as a vegan is vitamin B12. And that is what you know many people have said, including Dr. Greger, including McDougall, Neil Bernard, uh, all these um, kind of uh, heroes in the, in the plant-based community. Um, and, and, and now, you know, the, the, the vegans who are more, so to speak, science-based and they're, they kind of are in a different camp to these more uh, holistic vegan doctors, they, they recommend way more supplementation. They, they recommend iodine, they recommend zinc, they recommend calcium, they recommend vitamin D, B12, um, you know, DHA, uh, even iron uh, sometimes, uh, fortification, fortified foods. So the, the recommendations um, are, you know, much higher nowadays for people who are, you know, uh, becoming more and more well-known in the, in the vegan scientific world uh, compared to before. But yeah, I don't know what I think. I think a lot of people before when it comes to the B12, they were fed this um, uh, uh, narrative that B12 was uh, a part of uh, the human, you know, diet through drinking water and through just, you know, having touching the soil and, and the crops and, and your lettuce and these things. Um, which, you know, studies have shown it's just not possible. So, yeah. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to stoop a little low here. Uh, this is Neil Barnard. Um, I just want to show these vegan physicians. 
the neck. I, if this guy fell skateboarding, I have concerns for him. Um, I want to show Michael Greger. Um, so these are the, the paragons of health for veganism. I'll let people make their own um, decisions. Uh, none of them seem to be able to retain uh, significant muscle mass. What is uh, Dr. McDougall's first name? John. John McDougall. So I, what's that? Yeah, some of these pictures are super old as well, so. Yeah, so I just think, I think that the reality of these stories need to be told and people need to understand that um, the way that humans look can tell a lot about the human. And um, I guess this is, I think this is really why you were so valuable to the vegan community because you looked like a picture of health and it's very, uh, it's very damaging for vegan communities when people who are hailed as the picture of health, then add in, you know, meat back in their life. And to be fair, the carnivore community might've looked at me and said, look at Paul Saladino. He looks great. He's doing great. And then I had my electrolyte problems and my heart palpitations and added back in some fruit, but not vegetables. So anyway, there's, there's something to be said for both sides here, but I just think that there is, um, I think if you look at long-term vegans, especially long-term vegan doctors there, it's pretty clear that these people do not look particularly healthy. Um, they don't have a lot of muscle mass. I've never seen a picture of any of those doctors with their shirt off, uh, or their actual muscle mass. But if you look at their neck or their stomach, there's pictures of Michael Greger that show how bloated and kind of gaseous his stomach looks. When I was a vegan, I had tons of gas. We talked about that earlier. So I just wanted to point that out. I hope that, uh, watchers and listeners won't find that to be stooping too low, but I do think it's an important contrast to make. Um, let's, let's shift to talking. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say in terms of like uh, idealizing uh, someone who looks good or who, who's thriving, like there, there are people who are, who've been vegan for 20, 30 years who look amazing and, and they're thriving, but that doesn't mean that that will work for the majority of people. Maybe they're an outlier, you know, um, you know, I have vegan friends who are vegan since birth and, and they're in the, they're in their twenties and they're still alive. And so it's possible, but it, it, we, we tend as a population, we tend to see, you know, someone doing something and believing that that is possible for everyone. And so that, that's a big mistake, I believe, because, you know, there is a lot of people, um, you know, who uh, even after just, you know, a couple of years experience some, some heavy deterioration and, and yeah, but there are definitely people who are able to, you know, uh, sustain it. Um, and, but that doesn't mean that they will be able to do it for their whole life and that they're doing it without negative consequence either. Exactly. When, when you were vegan, were you aware of anyone eating meat or fish on the sly? I've, I've heard rumors of these farm, these not farmers, but these fishermen in Alaska that send salmon <laughs> to prominent <laughs> vegans. Yeah. And it's all yeah, it's, very it's, sort of down low black market secret nobody wants to really admit it or say something yeah i think that would be kind of uh similar to um the fake natty in fitness that um claims natural but actually takes steroids they would never tell anyone like there is there is there are very few people that would know their secret even their own partners don't know um and so 
Uh, I, I don't have knowledge of that apart from a few people that are, you know, uh, they seem to be vegan and they, they only sell vegan things. They only teach the vegan information, but they don't actually literally, you know, claim that they're vegan, but, but they're, you know, predominantly plant-based. And so they, they're eating, um, you know, some animal foods here and there in small amounts, they say. Um, but they only provide vegan information. So people think that they're vegan. They, they give off, uh, that's, that's the image they give off, but they're not actually vegan. So there are a few health experts in the community uh, like that as well. Um, and I did hear, you know, uh, when I was uh, quitting the vegan diet, I, I, I listened to a podcast with, uh, I forgot his name, Daniel Vitalis or something. Or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. That. He's been I, I remember podcast him too. talking about in the, in the raw uh, community there were, there were a lot of um, you know people eating <laughs> some animal foods on the side it doesn't surprise me at all sure. yeah fake fake vegans fake natties and fake vegans yeah. it's interesting interesting well there's people that believe i'm a fruitarian so i guess this, yeah. this is how it goes and i've done uh, i've done mukbangs uh, on uh, my instagram of showing me eat eat large <laughs> amounts of meat and put put raw testicles in my mouth uh, so i don't know what people want from me but you know yeah i definitely eat meat guys obviously um tell me specifically what you ate today and then let's let's move on to talking about kids and talk about some studies with kids and then we'll talk about some high level stuff with your children yeah um so this is embarrassing but today was <laughs> was one of the very very rare days where uh, we went to town and, and we didn't have anything. So, and it was, it's a holiday here. Everything is closed. The only thing open was McDonald's. Oh my God. So that, <laughs> okay. That was an extremely, extremely rare, uh, occasion where I had some, uh, McDonald's, um, and yeah, like I order, you know, without the bread and these things, but you know, it's still not the best quality. Um, but, uh, apart from that, I've eaten just apart from the meal at McDonald's, just steak, nothing else. Um, just steak yeah today today yeah today so, and uh recently i've been eating uh i'd say 70 ish 60 70 maybe even 80 percent of my calories from uh meat and and uh some raw dairy here and there fish um so animal foods essentially and yeah just to you know see how i feel doing that and yeah. And also because, you know, I want to heal my ankle as fast as possible as well. <laughs> Fair. Are you getting any organs? Yeah. Um, we do have some, uh, liver, um, here, but, uh, not that much, but I do have, uh, some supplements. We're not able to, uh, get your supplements here, but, um, there, there's a, yeah, at least not in Norway that I'm aware of, but, um, uh, there's a company that sells a, you know, similar freeze-dried uh, organ complex. Uh, so different organs, you know, heart, uh, spleen, thymus, uh, you know, all these things mixed into to one pill uh, or several pills. And then, you know, I take that as well. Yeah. Great. I wish we could get heart and soil to you in Norway or, or Europe, maybe in the future at some point. So yeah. that's interesting. Okay. So I want to start, I want to continue and shift gears a little bit to talking about kids so before the podcast, I found, I was just curious what the quote unquote mainstream recommendations were regarding kids and um, vegan diets. And so I found this article by WebMD, uh, a subsidiary of WebMD called Grow, and it says going vegan, is it a good choice for kids? And there's a physician here, Stefan Lauer, who's a pediatrician at University of Kansas, who says, my answer is that a vegan diet can be healthy for children but there are several extra factors to consider. Okay. Um, 
I just thought it was interesting that here's WebMD, a very mainstream outlet saying that vegan diets can be healthy for kids. And if you read the article, basically he says this, um, children's calorie needs are more different from adults, especially for kids under the age of three, they need more energy per pound of body weight. Um, so he says, you know, make sure that the vegan diet has plenty of calories. Uh, there are some micronutrients that are difficult to obtain from a vegan diet. He doesn't really go, they don't go into details on this. Uh, there are pros to a plant-based diet. For example, giving up meat helps cut down on unhealthy <laughs> saturated fat and cholesterol. <laughs> Hopefully uh, everyone listening to this podcast knows that I would take a pretty serious issue with both of those claims and say they're, they're pretty important, actually saturated fat, specifically stearic acid or odd chain fatty acids are essential for human health. And cholesterol is a precursor for our hormones and for cell membranes. But there is this perspective, and we'll circle back to this in a moment, uh, that vegan diets are healthy because they lower cholesterol and they avoid saturated fat. But if you uh, look at the literature deeply, you find out that that's kind of an empty claim. Um, so I find that interesting that this is a pretty weak article and doesn't really go into any of the details of what should be done. You can even get to page two here. They talk, okay, so you need to supplement vitamin B12. It's important to get enough protein. You probably need an iron supplement. They probably need a calcium supplement. <laughs> so the, uh, that the list of supplements is rapidly growing from uh, Stephen Lauer saying that vegan diets, a carefully planned vegan diet can be healthy with long-term benefits. Okay, so that's that's the mainstream saying that. And then the Cleveland Clinic says, is a vegan diet safe for growing children? What you need to know about protein and vitamins. It's basically the same perspective. Uh, we've got a pediatric dietitian, not an MD here. Um, you may want to make a few modifications. Vitamins and nutrients. So there's, I guess they say the same things. B12, iron, zinc, and calcium uh, are the, the main things to supplement and to make sure you get enough protein. But Again, uh, these, these mainstream health authorities or health websites are not dissuading people from becoming vegan. Um, that's a little scary to me. Let's pause there and say, what was your experience? Because you have two children now um, and talk to me about your children's experiences. Yeah. So, you know, my kids, they, uh, uh, one of them was, you know, born vegan and the other one was not. And, uh, my experience with that was that, um, you know, my son, we, even though we gave, uh, the healthiest diets, um, we could possibly give him according to what the top experts and, uh, you know, the doctors who are well-respected in the vegan community, uh, we're putting out there, we're telling us in private, um, in public, and all these things, uh, making sure the calorie was on point, uh, you know, making sure that we're, you know, covering all the all the bases. And so um, even even then, you know, there were some red flags. And, you know, I don't want to go into detail about exactly what those red flags were. But the fact is that when we added animal foods back in, uh, these issues became a lot more, you know, improved and, uh, you know, uh, stopped progressing essentially. And so my daughter, who is one year old now, uh, was, didn't go through a, a vegan pregnancy um, and, uh, or anything like that. And so obviously they're completely different people, um, but uh, she has not had any, any issues whatsoever. Um, and you know, uh, and, and it's been amazing. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of, 
you know, as a parent, uh, it's really hard for me. It's, it's one of the things that I've, I've had to, you know, uh, deal with a lot in the last couple of years is guilt, you know, because, you know, as a parent, it's, you want to do everything, you know, you want to make sure that you're doing the best for your children. And when you realize that what you're doing maybe wasn't the best, um, you know, it could be, it can be very, very hard. And, and the guilt for me was, was very tough to, to overcome in the beginning. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's something that I had to work very hard on. And, you know, I, I even became, you know, almost depressed for months, you know, just thinking about what, what, um, you know, I was, uh, that I was potentially, or it wasn't potentially, I was actually doing something that was uh, suboptimal for my own, you know, child that I love so much more than anything in the world. And also because I was promoting a message that I believe is not correct for so many people. And I kept thinking, you know, how many parents are doing this through their children because of me, you know, I have, on YouTube, like, I don't know, like 30 million views on, on vegan videos or something like that. Um, on Instagram, who knows how, ma- how many <laughs> people have been impacted. So, um, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, what, what's the most important is that uh, they're healthy now and they're much more improved and that, um, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, warn people because, you know, th- this is not something that only happened to me. It's happened to countless other people out there as well. So you've got a one-year-old daughter. How old's your son? He is turning four and yeah, a couple of, uh, in two weeks. Okay. And what does, what do they each eat in a day? I'm curious what they eat now. Well, now um, they eat essentially meat. Um, they my son is not a fan of organs, so he doesn't really eat organs um, unless it's like, you know, some uh, liver, desiccated liver mixed in, you know, with a burger or, uh, or, or even, you know, something else in a, in a smoothie or something. Um, that's the only way we can get some organ meats in. Um, my daughter will eat anything. Her favorite is, is just like sucking out the bone marrow and that kind of stuff. And, and um, uh, Noah, his favorite food is, is fat. He just wants fat. I'm like, you know, if you want some more meat? He's like, I want the fat like, that is attached to the meat. And so he'll, he'll have all the fat. Um, so he loves that. He's like a huge fan of, uh, of, of, of fat that is, you know, attached to red meat in particular. I'm not a big fan of chicken and these things. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just mainly they, they, they eat animal foods uh, and then a little bit of, uh, well, not a little bit, quite a bit of fruits as well. And they love fruits um, and very little, you know, less and less uh, grains and legumes and these things and, and vegetables. So uh, very small amounts. But, uh, you know, once, once in a while, they'll have uh, things like white rice, oatmeal, um, white potatoes, uh, beans and lentils and these things. But, um, yeah, it's, it's more because we live with in in Spain, I live under the same roof as my vegan parents and they, they offer us food every single day. And, and, uh, you know, we're really thankful that they, you know, make food for us. So, uh, you know, we, we, we still eat that kind of stuff uh, once in a while when we're in Spain, at least. So your parents are vegan. Was your brother a vegan too? Yeah. My whole family went vegan when I went vegan. Um, my brother, uh, was the first one uh, who was three years younger than me. He was the first one to go vegan. He's been vegan now nine years. And then uh, three years later, I went vegan with my wife or girlfriend at the time. 
And when that happened, everyone else in the family went vegan as well. Is your brother a doctor? Uh, he has a medical degree. Yeah, he he he's never practiced as a doctor, but he's he's a he's got the degree at mm -hmm. least. So I guess he could be considered a doctor for sure. Yeah. I saw something online that he was not vegan anymore. Is that fake news? Uh, yeah, I think that's fake news. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll be very surprised. Yeah. Okay. So maybe he's still vegan and your parents are still vegan. What does your family yeah. think about the fact that you've stopped being a vegan? Your wife is not vegan. You're feeding your kids tons of meat and fat. You've got a one-year-old daughter sucking marrow out of the bone, like a little cave girl. Yeah, they're, you know, I think like anyone who believes that their perspective is the right perspective, um, they, they they view it as as wrong or you know you know not everyone in, in my family thinks um, the same you know um, but you know uh, obviously they're disappointed because um, they were so proud of the work that I was doing and and uh, of my role in the vegan movement and my position and and my contacts and all these things and, and the projects that I was involved in the money that I was making all these things right so. So going from, you know, leaving millions on the table and going back to being like, you know, not earning a cent <laughs> at all and just being like, you know, fired from all the companies and, and just, you know, blasted and, and hated by everyone they know in the vegan community and these things, it, it, it weighs heavy on, on them, um, like, of course. And so they're very disappointed. They think, you know, I'm sure they think that we're doing a, a disservice to ourselves for sure. Yeah. Interesting. That's a lot to carry, man. It's, it's a courageous thing you're doing. I I think that it's good that we can get this out there. And I think people will appreciate the fact that this is your truth and you're speaking it. Um, there are a number of articles that I think we could add to the discussion at this point. Um, one of the articles that that you pointed out to me is this one, the, the Vecchi study, which is- yeah, the most cited. What's that? The most cited by uh, uh, many of the vegan doctors that I was uh, looking for help and asking for help were citing this study as, uh, you know, the, the best kind of um, evidence that we have that a vegan diet can be optimal for children. Right. And both, I think you and I came to the same conclusion when we read this study, even just looking at the abstract, what you can see here is that their conclusion is that a vegetarian and vegan diet... Um, those are quite different in terms of outcomes in early childhood can provide the same amount of energy, so calories and macronutrients that would be protein, fat, and carbohydrates leading to a normal growth in comparison to omnivorous children. Uh, what this article leaves out is any discussion of micronutrients, which could uh, have important uh, implications for things like brain growth, intelligence, uh, mood, hormonal growth in children, gastrointestinal health in children, bone density, none of these are looked at in the study. So for vegan or for plant-based advocates to cite this study, I think both you and I were a little bit surprised at how cursory it is. And you can see here that the, um, the protein intakes were highest in the, in the omnivorous group, no surprise there. Um, and that the added sugars, they say were highest in the omnivorous group, probably because vegan and vegetarian families are more quote unquote health conscious. That may be an advantage to being health conscious, but doesn't certainly doesn't come with an omnivorous diet in and of itself. A fiber is higher in a uh, vegan diet, no surprise there, but as 
many people have now pointed out, and I've tried to point out sometimes getting a lot of fiber isn't a good thing because fiber can decrease the amount of nutrients that are absorbed in the human body and can cause a lot of gut issues in humans. That's something that's not really talked about very frankly, or I think honestly in the nutritional space, people just say fiber is good, more is better. And I uh, debate that strongly. So I think this is a pretty weak uh, set of data to make a conclusion that you could raise a child healthfully on a vegan diet. And yet this is probably the best that they have. And at least the anecdotes and the other things we've shown so far, we'll show some other studies that counteract this, uh, argue otherwise. Yeah, and this, this is a study that was uh, championed and it's not the only one. There are other studies looking at micronutrients, but still it's not you know uh, health outcome focused. It's not cognitive development. It's not uh, intestinal you know, health and, and uh, all these things, right? And even that study that we just looked at, the veggie study, um, the only kids that were considered wasted or stunted were in the vegan or vegetarian category. You know, none of them were in the omnivorous category. And I mentioned this publicly and I got contacted by um, a vegan doctor who was, you know, trying to correct me on my mistake. And the mistake was that um, I didn't read the explanation the authors gave for their smaller size, which was their parents were were smaller um, and, and these things, um, even though that doesn't, you know, account for, um, you know, being wasted, like, or stunted. Um, the parents that were a little bit shorter were not that short. And, and it, it only, it was only the case for four out of the eight children that the parents were a little bit below average in height. Um, and so the, this, even though, even if none of them were stunted, it doesn't show uh, you know, that the vegan diet is optimal or, you know, suitable for all stages of life or for children. It's just a, a measurement of, of macronutrients and body weight and body height. It really doesn't, you know, show anything of, of value. And you and I did a calculation before the podcast, the mothers, I believe averaged uh, five, two and a half, and the fathers were around five, six, I believe. Um, so they were lower than average height, but, um, not too much below Tom Cruise for the height of the males. And uh, a lot of women are five, two and a half. And like you pointed out, the wasting of the kids and the stunting of the kids appeared to be uh, much more severe than those slightly below average mom and dad heights would suggest. So kind of a scary thing that they're willing to normalize that. Um, there's another study here that I think we um, could look at which was this one, I believe, growth, body composition, and cardiovascular nutrition risk, which is an interesting thing. They put that in there. A five to 10-year-old children consuming vegetarian, vegan, and omnivore diets. Uh, they say vegan diets are associated with a healthier cardiovascular risk profile. This is such a catch-all wastebasket thing these days. It just means they had lower cholesterol, which I would argue is a very bad thing. Uh, they weren't able to substantiate any sort of proper hormonal levels, but they had an increased risk of nutritional deficiencies and uh, lower bone mineral density and height. So, oh no, but it's okay. They have lower LDL. That's a good thing. We all know that lower LDL is good. Um, interestingly, we should note vegetarians showed a less pronounced nutritional deficiencies, uh, but unexpectedly a less favorable cardiovascular uh, cardiometabolic, they say, risk profile. Yeah, that's because when you give kids eggs 
and milk, they actually have a healthy amount of LDL cholesterol in their body, uh, a very critical thing for infant and human development. So um, what are your thoughts on this study? I, this is a Polish cross-sectional study. Uh, there were 63 vegetarian, 52 vegan, and 72 matched omnivores. And it's, it's interesting how they just gloss over all the bad things. Yeah, again, this um, when discussing this with vegan doctors, they they debunk this study because a lot of the the, the vegans were not supplementing with uh, B twelve. I think it was one third of them or something like that, um, and uh, not with vitamin D either. And so they said that this is not a healthy vegan population. It's an unhealthy vegan population, and that is why the results are skewed the, the way that they are because they weren't supplementing properly. And, 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 but that just, you know, my argument to that was, well, you know, if, if, if we're advising human beings on diet, shouldn't we take into account, you know, human behavior, like forgetfulness or just laziness and these things that are inherent in human beings and, and uh, account for those things when recommending uh, a diet to humans? Um, like, you know, if, if we need so many supplements, like it's, 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 like at, at someone is going to forget <laughs> to give the right dosage, the right type of B12, and they're going to give methylcobalamin instead of cyanocobalamin and, and make all kinds of mistakes. Like there's a lot of mistakes that can go wrong. Um, and so even though a lot of them forgot to give the right supplementation, the, it, it still showcases that um, it's not optimal um, and it's, it, it, it's problematic and dangerous as well. Um, so yeah, I would say clearly not optimal. Vegans had lower fat indices in all regions. Uh, that's bad. <laughs> that, that's the wasting. Uh, both vegans and vegetarians had lower bone mineral density, bone mineral content. Vegans were shorter, had lower total LDL um, and lower HDL. Um, they had lower HSCRP, which is interesting, but they had lower protein, lower iron status, lower serum B12, and lower 25-hydroxy vitamin D without supplementation. And they had higher homocysteine, and mean corpuscular volume, homocysteine is an indication of B12 and or folate and or riboflavin deficiency with higher being worse. And a uh, higher mean corpuscular volume would indicate either folate or uh, B12 deficiency. So uh, there's, you know, vitamin B12 deficiency, iron deficiency, anemia, low ferritin, which is an indicative of low iron stores and low HDL were more prevalent in vegans uh, who also had the lowest prevalence of quote unquote high LDL. So it's just, this doesn't look good. For vegans, uh, I don't understand how vegans also ignore all of the evolutionary and anthropologic context here. Do we think our ancestors were really doing this? Is are we are we really so sure? Are we really believe that we can break from what our ancestors have been doing for so long? You know, I went and visited the Hadza last year. They didn't give their kids any supplements, and they generally grow up pretty darn hale and hearty. Uh, I think that it's clear that an evolutionarily appropriate, species-appropriate diet for humans should be intuitive and easy. And I love that kids really give us indication of this. What do your kids prefer to eat? Meat, um, sometimes organs, often fat and fruit. It's so simple. Uh, and I wanna just keep going down this rabbit hole a little bit and talk about yet just a single one of the nutrients that I've never seen mentioned in any one of these vegan studies. Let's talk about choline. Uh, this is an article called Choline, the Underconsumed and Underappreciated Essential Nutrient. And this is in humans. 
but it's incredible. There, where is the choline on a vegan diet? And any of these studies, does Cleveland Clinic or WebMD say, you know, actually your vegan kids are going to be low in choline. Vegetarian kids might not be if they're getting enough eggs and milk, but a, a vegan child is definitely going to be low in choline. Well, why do you need choline? Well, to make every single cell membrane in your body, neurons, brain, acetylcholine, neurotransmitters. Uh, it's pretty crazy stuff. And here we, you know, see this um, just talked about very clearly for um, even adults and kids, but there's never, is there any discussion about choline in the vegan community? Um, there has been in the past when uh, proponents of the paleo or ketogenic diets talk about it and talk about how vegan diets don't have choline. And it's generally debunked by um, them saying that soy and cauliflower have choline. So those two foods. Soy and cauliflower? <laughs> yeah. Apparently those two foods are the, are the answer to, to that question. So you um, have to feed your kids tons of cauliflower every day and tons of choline well, every day. <laughs> Soy, soy, soy based, <laughs> soy based choline, which yeah. is clearly not as bioavailable as an animal based form of choline. Uh, okay. So I think that we can, I don't have that study pulled up right now, but we can pause the podcast and pull it up. But there's, um, it's, it's pretty clear that vegans are low in choline, even with all of the, uh, even with as much of the, um, I'm sure they're uh, getting soy. Yeah. Yeah. Even with cauliflower and soy smoothies all day long, they, they don't seem to get enough uh, choline in their diets. So this one, I think, is the one that I wanted to pull up, this one. Usual choline intakes are associated with egg and protein food consumption in the United States. So this study um, from July 2017 found that choline, an essential nutrient for critical roles in several biological processes, including neuronal development, cyclic cell signaling, nerve impulse transmission, lipid transport, and metabolism. Uh, they found that protein food, meat, poultry, and seafood consumption increased choline consumption and uh, adults 19 plus who consumed eggs more likely to meet their gender and life stage uh, adequate intakes as compared to non-consumers. But basically, if people didn't consume eggs or protein, in this observational study, um, there were uh, substantial uh, deficiencies in choline, which is a critical nutrient for humans. So I think it's pretty sketchy. So I found, um, though I shudder to use Healthline, um, 16 foods that are high in choline. Uh, they call the AI 550 milligrams or 425 milligrams grams of choline per day. Uh, they say 90% of the US population does not meet this recommended intake. I would agree with that. Um, pregnant and breastfeeding moms need more than the women. First food is eggs. So eggs are the best source of choline. And I will show a study in a moment showing that the choline in eggs is more bioavailable. So this is the other thing that is often left out in plant-based discussions is the notion that uh, all forms of these nutrients are not equivalent. So one egg is 147 milligrams of choline. Uh, two eggs per day is 54% of the RDA for most people. Uh, the egg yolk is where the choline is. Uh, organ meats are the next thing. Three ounces of beef liver is 240 milligrams or 65% of the RDI. So if you got some uh, beef liver, you don't even have to get three ounces. You can get one ounce, you can get heart or something. Uh, you'll get a little more choline. You'll also get things like iron, B12, folate, copper, vitamin A, selenium, which are deficient in plant foods. We've got caviar, which is fish eggs. You've got fish. Uh, number five is shiitake mushrooms. So I don't know how many in the vegan community are feeding um, a full cup of cooked shiitake mushrooms. That's quite a big amount, but that only gives you 116 milligrams. So to meet your RDA with uh, shiitake mushrooms, you would have to eat five cups of shiitake mushrooms a day. That's that's to meet the full RDA 
assuming that the choline in shiitake mushrooms is bioavailable in the same equivalent as um, uh, animal foods, which I would debate based on the study that I'll show in a moment. Soybeans, they say one cup of soybeans, and these are roasted soybeans, uh, is 214 milligrams or 40%. So you'd have to eat uh, two and a half cups of soybeans, which is an enormous amount to get to the RDI. Um, beef is another rich source of choline. So a three ounce serving of beef is 115 milligrams. So um, a child could eat three or even four or five ounces of meat per day. Uh, I wonder how much a kid is going to eat, but that's going to give them even more choline. Wheat germ uh, is not a food for humans. I don't even know why people consider that a food. Uh, three ounces of wheat germ. I don't know anyone who's going to eat. That's a huge amount of wheat germ. Chicken and turkey, again, animal foods. They say cruciferous vegetables, cauliflower. So one cup of cooked cauliflower has 13% of your daily choline needs. To get your RDA for uh, choline, you would need to have seven cups of cooked cauliflower per day. Um, okay. Wow. Seven cups of cauliflower a day, John, you ate that all the time. Almonds. I mean, then we're into like the plant foods, which are just a joke when it comes to choline. Um, these are obviously the lower sources of that. And I want to point out this natural choline from egg yolk phospholipids is more efficiently absorbed compared to uh, choline bark by tartrate outcomes of a randomized trial in adults. So if you compare the choline in an animal food to the choline in a supplement, or presumably I would also uh, posit a plant food, you're not gonna get the same amount of absorption in this choline. So the same is true with protein as well. Vegans will say, oh, we have the same amount of protein as an omnivorous diet, but we know from things like a digestible indispensable amino acid score, that protein is only half as bioavailable. It's, so I don't know. I mean, do you know any vegans who were eating um, let's say, you know, uh, two to three cups of shiitake mushrooms and uh, two cups of soybeans every single day. That, that's what you need to get the equivalent of just a couple of eggs and maybe uh, a pound of meat in your diet for choline, assuming again, bioequivalence. Yeah. I mean, if you're into fitness, like you end up eating a lot of soy. So like, you know, <laughs> they'll be, they'll be meeting the requirements uh, based on that. But that doesn't take into account the bioavailability and that kind of stuff, of course. So it's it's hard to know. Uh, but definitely not, you know, that much shiitake mushrooms and and cauliflower. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that's. I don't think I know anyone who's eating that much. No. It's that. That's yeah. That and that it's would interesting be interesting how they're comparing the choline eggs to a choline supplement because you know that goes back into. Uh, the B12 as well, because, you know, there's this famous uh, uh, video of Dr. Greger talking about this uh, vegan baby that died um, from being best, uh, breastfed. Um, uh, and not that the baby shouldn't be breastfed, because that is what babies uh, for that age should be, should be exclusively breastfed. But because the mother's milk was uh, deficient in B12, um, the baby died and he confirmed that that was his opinion, that, that, that is the truth. And it, it wasn't the first baby and definitely not the last one. And vegans don't get their act together. That's what his, he, he, he said directly. And then there's this other video where he also goes and says that, you know, on the few studies that are done in terms of, um, absorption of B12, uh, uh the, the, there are studies showing that, people, some people are not able to absorb the B12. And so how do you know if you're getting enough, if, um, if, if you don't know that the supplement is being utilized um, correctly? And we know that blood levels of different things don't really mean that the body is utilizing uh, those certain um, uh, nutrients the way that they're supposed to be. So, you know, it's, it's kind of very sketchy. 
It's definitely sketchy. Um, so I mentioned this article earlier in the podcast. I just want to show it for people again, if they're curious, it's meat helps uh, every bite count. It's a recent, uh, commentary on the dietary guidelines recommending meat is an ideal first complementary food. Uh, starting at six months, infants need a variety of nutrient-dense foods, including foods rich in bioavailable iron and zinc, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they, in this article, go on to note that there are pretty high rates of iron and zinc deficiency in infants. Uh, I just think this is because mothers are not eating enough meat in general, but meat can uh, really help with all of those um, nutritional deficiencies in kids. And Unfortunately, alongside of that, they'll recommend things like uh, legumes or iron-fortified rice cereals for things including iron and zinc, which is a problem because we know that zinc is going to be very poorly bioavailable in a package that contains lots of phytic acid, something like beans or a laughable amount of zinc. This is sort of the story when it comes to plant-based minerals and other nutrients is they'll say, oh, look at how much zinc is in beans. And then you, I can actually show, and I did show in this podcast last week, that when you combine oysters containing zinc with beans, the absorption of that zinc is cut in half. If you combine those oysters with a tortilla uh, or wheat and how many kids eating vegan diets are getting wheat, uh, there's essentially zero amount of that zinc from one of the most highly bioavailable, most highly concentrated sources of zinc, that being oysters in these kids. So even if kids are fed a zinc supplement uh, who are vegans and they're given something like a tortilla, none of that is getting absorbed. And we just talked about choline. We didn't talk about creatine, carnitine, carnosine, answerine, taurine, vitamin K2, uh, biotin, riboflavin, heme iron. The list is enormous. Uh, it's insane uh, to think that you could get children to optimal levels of health by feeding them vegan or plant-based diets. And I think that it's, I think that it's at this point, we know enough that uh, I'd say that it's really clear to say that, that meat is optimal food for babies and kids and it, to not include it is to um, put your kid at a disadvantage. Yeah. Uh, my experience um, tells me the same thing. So, you know, I, I, I really hope that parents were, you know, questioning this thing, um, maybe you don't want to quit the vegan diet yourself. Maybe you are not ready to take that step, but you have children, um, and you're, you know, you're not sure if it is optimal, you know, I, I hope that the information that we're putting out here, uh, is going to be useful because, um, you know, and, and we make the mistake of thinking that we already have everything figured out in nutrition science. I mean, it, nutrition science is essentially at its infancy. Um, there are going to be more and more things coming out um, that I'm sure we're, we're going to be uh, lacking in the plant-based diets that we may not even be aware of right now. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 phase, the fake confidence that we have is... Is, is, is really alarming. And the faith that we put into um, these vegan doctors and, and the trust that we put into them um, is, is something that we should all question for sure. What did the vegan doctors tell you about healthy user bias? <laughs> so in terms of the veggie study, for example, I was having this discussion three days ago with a vegan doctor. And I was saying that, you know, it's strange that these kids are, you know, the, the stunted and wasted kids and the kids who are um, not getting enough micronutrients in another study that I was talking about, um, were facing this issue when they are, their, their parents are going to be way more likely to be healthy. And uh, so the healthy user bias, uh, you know, does uh, play a role here as well. And he, his argument was that the healthy user bias works you know, against vegans, not, you know, it, it, it doesn't favor vegans because vegans uh, would be less 
health focused and health oriented than omnivores um, because vegans tend to be vegan for ethical reasons, not for health reasons. Even though on the Vecchi study, there's a questionnaire showing um, the, the, the motivation for their, uh, their children and their family's dietary choice. And I believe it was like 30% of vegans um, uh, cited health or at least 20 to 30% in vegetarian as well. And on the omnivore uh, kind of column, it was just zero. <laughs> it was just like nothing. Um, so obviously like even that study that we, that he said um, kind of shows that vegans are ethical vegans were saying the opposite. So I think it's a lot of cognitive dissonance that, that these doctors themselves cannot believe uh, in anything different because they have so much invested in their career and their perspective. They put so many claims out there publicly that going back on their word, it seems like in, in something impossible. I've heard the same thing. I mean, I think a lot of people would look at what you've experienced and frankly see that as uh, terrifying. I've had vegan doctors contact me anonymously or um, you know, in, in confidence via email and say that they work at uh, some of the largest vegan health quote centers, unhealth centers in the country, and they've seen massive decline in their health and they want to start incorporating meat. I mean, I had a woman contact me uh, who worked at one of the largest vegan, you know, quote, health centers. And she said after 17 years, her health was failing and she was really struggling and she couldn't imagine what would happen in the community if she uh, said publicly that she wasn't vegan anymore. And so I think that a lot of people fear, I mean, death threats, you got death threats, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't gotten any death threats yet. Maybe I have, I just don't know about it because I ignore them, but uh, I'm sure there's vegans who wish harm to me. <laughs> But it's, that's, that's not an easy road for people to imagine um, going down uh, with, with honesty and candor. Yeah, and it's sad because, um, you know, who knows how many of these people silently quit, right? You know, we, we, there are a few people like myself who are, you know, very vocal about their, their change in perspective, but but seeing that backlash, like I understand, like I had people saying like, you know, why don't you just, you know, keep quiet about it? Like, why, why didn't you just stay silent and, and just focus on a different kind of video style? Like, you know, focus more on, I don't know, spirituality or, or personal growth or emotional health or psychology or something instead of, um, you know, announcing this because it's so extreme. So I, I understand how it puts people off and, and, and that's why, you know, I, I laid up, uh, you know, I stopped talking about it because, you know, maybe, maybe I figured that maybe I'm discouraging people uh, f uh, from, you know, speaking publicly about this by, by showcasing the extreme hatred that, that happens. Um, mm. But uh, I, I believe I'm a true believer in expressing your truth and being your authentic self, no matter what happens, you know, no matter if your own family dislikes you, no matter if they, you know, you become an outcast, no matter if you lose, um, you know, friends, family, and no matter if you lose your income, your job, like I had to go through all these things, but nothing feels better coming uh, to the other side of this whole thing. Nothing feels better than just speaking from the heart and being my authentic self, because, you know, pretending to be something that you're not or, or, or um, you know, self-censoring is horrible. It just doesn't feel right. It's not how we're supposed to live as humans. And so it may be scary, but it's the, the most powerful thing you can, you can do is, is to speak your truth. And I, I really hope that people uh, can get there eventually.
I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thank you for speaking your truth, brother. Where can people find more of you speaking your truth? Yeah, so I've been uploading on Instagram. I haven't uploaded a YouTube video in eight months and I'll upload one, you know, probably next week, um, you know, a day of eating or something, uh, which (laughs) will be interesting to see. can't (laughs) wait. Um, but Instagram, I'm most active there. So you can find me, um, at John Venus and on YouTube as well. Uh, you can just search my name, John Venus, ex vegan, vegan, whatever. <laughs> vegan airhead. John <laughs> Venus. You'll find him. <laughs> well, thank you for speaking out, brother. It's so interesting to hear your experiences and the insider perspective. I'm so glad you're thriving and your family's doing good. And I do hope that we get to, uh, get some waves at some point in the future, or at least get into the sun. So appreciate you, man. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, man. It's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, thank you.